Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Nehemiah? Book of Nehemiah, as you're turning there, uh, one thing that I forgot just a little bit earlier uh, to mention, we are having the uh, service at 1 p.m. Tuesday to honor Brother Henson, but also tonight during our evening service. After our time uh, of worship through singing together, we're going to give an opportunity for anyone who would like to give just a testimony of how God used Brother Henson's life and their life. We're going we're gonna to give you an opportunity to just give a, a little testimony time tonight as a part of our evening worship service. So I want to encourage you to be here for that. Those of you who knew Brother Henson, I want you to be here for that. Those of you who were not here for Brother Henson, I want you to be here to hear uh, of, of what God did through Brother Tommy's obedience and through his faithfulness. And I know that'll be a testimony to us. And After uh, the evening worship service, which by the way, tonight is soup and sermon. So come tonight to uh, have time of fellowship. After that, we'll have our quarterly business meeting. So I want you to be there uh, for all of our events tonight. Nehemiah chapter 2. We have made our way through Nehemiah chapter 1 so far this year. I want you to know something. I want this to be very clear to you. From the beginning of the year until now, if you've sat under my preaching during 2020, I want you to understand that God has an epic work that he has planned to do through you. He has an epic work. That is a work that is exceeding any of your uh, expectations. I think of our verse for this year, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, when we learn that, that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, I think of this, if you can imagine it, it's not good enough. If you can think about it and imagine the, the future and the plans that he has for you, it's not good enough. It's not big enough. God has an epic plan to do through your life. And perhaps you, you're here today, you're listening on our podcast, and you're, and you're saying to yourself, I don't feel like God can accomplish an epic work through me. I have a failed marriage. I have a failed business. Maybe you feel students like a, a loser at school or like you're not living up to the expectations of people around you. And you ask God, what could you possibly have for me in this life? And I believe the answer is very clearly from Scripture is that God has prepared for you an epic work. Hold on, church. Hold on, folks, whatever stage you are in in your life. God has an epic work that he wants to perform through you. Last week, we began a mini-series called Making an Epic Start, or Make an Epic Start. And what's very clear to me, and what has become very clear to me, is if you want to be a part of an epic work, you need to have an epic start or an epic restart for many of us. As we study the book of Nehemiah, we've discovered that Nehemiah had come upon some horrendous news. His hometown, the place that he loved so dearly, lies in ruins. The walls were destroyed, as we see on either side of me on this stage, illustrating just in part the walls that must have been destroyed. There were piles of rubble around Jerusalem. 
But we're going to discover, and what we have already discovered is that Nehemiah is going to be an instrument that God will use to ignite a work that is nothing short of epic. Last week we discovered the priority. If you're going to make an epic start, there was one word that I gave you last week. Pop quiz is coming, okay? Pop quiz is coming. There's one word that I gave you that if you're going to make an epic start, you must remember. What is that word? Prayer. Prayer. You must prioritize prayer. If you want to make an epic start, if you want to be a part of a work that is nothing short of epic, then you need to prioritize prayer. This week, we'll see another element that Nehemiah shows to us, that he displays to us in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2, and that is boldness. This week, we're going to look at epic boldness. Look with me in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sick in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Join me in prayer. Father, please now speak through me to your people. Speak to their hearts, encourage, and draw them closer to you. Please save today those who are lost within the presence of my hearing and the presence of my speaking. And Father, I pray that you would do an epic work among us today. And I won't, I won't take any glory or praise or credit, but I'll return it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We learned some very unique and wonderful things in the scripture today. Nehemiah was able to have an epic start to an epic work because he understood and to put into practice three very essential disciplines Three things that Nehemiah knew that I want you to know today, that I want you to write down and carry with you, write down in the margins of your Bible or write down in your notebook. Three things that Nehemiah knew that if you want to have an epic start, if you want to be a part of an epic work, you need to know these three things. Number one, what Nehemiah knew that we need to know is the boldness of waiting on the Lord. 
Look with me in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Did you notice those first few words? Now in the month of Nisan, uh, when he first discovered, when Nehemiah first discovered that his hometown was in ruins, when he was first devastated by this news was four months earlier during the Hebrew month of Kislev. Are you, are, you, uh, are you impressed that I pronounced it that way? Uh, let the record state for our uh, people on the podcast who are just hearing only that it was a unanimous vote, that everyone was impressed uh, with the way that I pronounced that. That may be the correct way. It may not be. But he discovered that this tragedy had happened around the month of November and December. And four months will pass before an opportunity arises for Nehemiah to do something about it. Four months. That is a long time. Four months is a long time when your heart is aching. Four times, or four months is a long time when your heart is grieving. When you're fasting and praying and mourning, four months is a long time. It's a long time for any of us in here to wait four months. And yet, God doesn't immediately act when Nehemiah begins to pray and fast. Nehemiah is just waiting. Nehemiah is still serving. He's still showing up to work smiling. He's still doing his best. Why? Nehemiah understood the boldness that it took to wait upon the Lord. The boldness that it took to wait upon the Lord. We would ask, Nehemiah, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you go into the palace and ask for a transfer from where you're working? To go work in Jerusalem and to, and to do those things. Why didn't you immediately act? Every one of us, perhaps you're like me, if a need shows up, I immediately want to get on top of it. As a matter of fact, if I can hear about it before it happens, that's where I want to be. I want to be prepared. I want to be I want to plan. I want to take action. But we're going to discover that there is a boldness in waiting upon the Lord. Nehemiah waits four long months and he prays and he fasts. Why? He understood the boldness that it takes to wait upon the Lord. Can I, can I tell you, some of you in here today have gotten yourselves in trouble. You're like me. We've gotten ourselves in trouble when we've tried to jump ahead of the Lord when it comes to timing. All right? Can I get an amen? Can I get an oh me? You've tried to jump ahead of the Lord, and what happens? Listen, I'm going I'm to say this. I want you to write it down, okay? History is never kind to those who jump ahead of the Lord. History is never kind to those who jump ahead of the Lord. I'm reminded of King Saul. Are you all familiar with King Saul of Israel, the first king in all of Israel? Back in 1 Samuel in chapter 13, and around that area, the people of Israel gather together and they come to the prophet Samuel and they say, we want a king like all the other nations. And it grieved Samuel's heart that they did not want God to be their king, but they wanted just another man to be their king. But, but God told Samuel, go back, and, and give them a king. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through them. They've not rejected you, Samuel. 
They've not rejected your family. They've rejected me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a king. That's when we're introduced to Saul. Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. He was talented. He was charismatic. And yet we find him at times hiding behind luggage, trying to get away from the battle. And Saul is going to be anointed the first king over Israel. And so the prophet Samuel comes to Saul and he says, Saul, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to that little town over that hill called Gilgal. And at Gilgal, I want you to wait for seven days. Now, Saul, there's going to be some kingdoms that are going to rise up. Uh, uh, the armies, uh, the, the, the Philistine armies are going to be gathering up. Wait those seven days for me, and I will pray, and I will sacrifice once I get there. And we will establish your kingdom, and then we will go and fight this battle. And so Saul says, yes, he goes over to Gilgal, and one day he waits. Two days pass. Three. It gets to the seventh day, and he looks around, and Samuel, the prophet, is not coming on the horizon. And what's worse for this new king of Israel is that he's about to face his first battle, and he hears that the Philistine army is gathering in mass. And since they've been waiting seven days, the people of Israel, the soldiers, have, become, have, have been a little antsy and they began to leave the ranks and be, began to leave the place. And so Saul says, I'll perform the sacrifice. And so he performs the sacrifice and he prays and right as soon as that happens, he looks on the horizon and he sees Samuel coming up. He says, Saul wanted to rush God's will. Saul wanted to get ahead of God's plan. And Samuel says to him in chapter 13, verse 13, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You see, Saul learned a lesson that so many of us are so familiar with, that when you try to jump ahead of the Lord, you fall flat on your face. Can I just tell you something today, church? Maybe you're, you're waiting on the Lord and you're beginning to get a little impatient. Lord, my marriage is not where I want it to be. Lord, I'm not sharing the gospel uh, like, I, like I want to. I'm having struggles with sin in my life, whatever the struggle may be. And you're waiting on the Lord, and you're, and you're trying to wait and, 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 be, uh, and do it in a way that, that honors him. And you're wanting to jump ahead of him, jump ahead of his timing. Learn the lesson of Saul. When you jump ahead of the Lord, you fall flat on your face. It is good to wait on the Lord. We have these commands and promises throughout Scripture. Psalm 27 and verse 14 commands us to wait on the Lord. The psalmist says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's no fun to wait. It's no fun to be at the yellow light in life. I, I've shared this many times before, but I have the spiritual gift of red light. Spiritual gift of red light. Don't get behind me on Missouri Street or on Broadway or any street because anytime I'm going down that street, I will hit every red light like as it is turning red. 
And generally, I'm the first person, but if I'm not the first person at that light, there's someone who is very gentle in the way they push their gas pedal as soon as the light turns green. That's the kindest way I can state it. It's not easy to wait upon the Lord. But listen, if you don't wait upon the green light, you're going to get a ticket. And if you don't wait upon the Lord, you're going to fall flat on your face. You need to hear this today. It's good for us to wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Listen, if you're in the waiting room of life right now, just wait. Just wait upon the Lord. Stop trying to open doors and pry open doors that God has shut in your life. Wait upon the Lord. His timing is good. To borrow uh, some words from J.R.R. Tolkien and to change it around, God's never late and he's never early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Wait on the Lord's timing. And Nehemiah waited four months But the second thing that he knew that I want you to know today is the boldness of seizing God-given opportunities. You see, Nehemiah was waiting, but he was looking for opportunities. If you're in the waiting room of life and you say, Josh, I just don't ever have an opportunity to share the gospel. I don't ever have an opportunity to, to try to fix what's going wrong in my family or at work. Are you looking for opportunities? Are you looking for opportunities to to change that? Are you looking for God to open a door? We are to be people who are looking for God-given opportunities. So many times people have told me they've prayed that God would allow them to witness more, and yet they won't slow down to talk to anybody. God gives opportunities all the time, and yet we are not looking for them. We don't seize them. But we learn from Nehemiah the importance, the boldness, the audacity of seizing God-given opportunities. He prayed about this moment. Nehemiah had prayed, and I think deep down he knew uh, what the book of Ephesians said in chapter 5 and verse 15. This is from the message version. The Bible says, so watch your step, use your head, make the most of every chance you get. You ought to seize God given opportunities. Seize the day. Use it for obedience. Use it for holiness. We're going to find in in chapter 2, verses 2 through 8, that Nehemiah is going to seize this opportunity that God gave him. Look in verse 2. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? If I were king and some guy was my cupbearer, I would always be looking to see how he looked. Right? Because if he looked sick, I would say, did you just drink the same cup that I did? Because I'm going to be watching you very closely over the next few moments to see it's just a little bit of a fortune is about to what's about to happen to me. So he looks at Nehemiah. He's, he's very keen. He's observing Nehemiah. He says, I can see that you're not sick because I've determined how to do that by looking at cupbearers over the years. And if they've fallen over, I've not drinking the same wine that they did. But he says, I can see that you're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then look what Nehemiah's response is. Then I was very much afraid. We are to seize God-given opportunities even in the face of fear. You know, when you think about it, 
most of the things that God has called us to do is kind of scary. Think about it. Witnessing can be very intimidating, can't it? You're afraid when you share the gospel with somebody that it might affect your relationship with them if they're a close family member or if they're a neighbor. You may say, I don't want, I'm a little intimidated. And even if you don't know them at all and God has given you an opportunity to share the gospel, you may be confronted with fear. You may be intimidated. What if they don't, what if they don't, what if they reject me? You see, God calls us to things that are in and of themselves fearful. Witnessing can be intimidating. Living a holy life can let you feeling alienated from everyone else around you. There's nothing that you can do to fit in to this world, believer. If you're salt and light, you can't fit into their mold. And when you live a holy life, you're going to look different, and it's going to leave you feeling fearful. It's going to leave you uh, feeling alienated. Tithing can stretch your faith to its perceived limits. But I want you to know this, and I want you to write this down. Boldness is not the absence of fear, but it's the mastering over fear. Boldness isn't the absence of fear. It's the mastering over fear. That's why in Joshua 1.9, we are commanded to not be afraid. I mean, all these armies are ahead of us, but don't be afraid. You acknowledge the fear, but you keep marching. You see, Nehemiah was very, very afraid, but he pursues. He goes on. He doesn't allow that to intimidate him. And by the way, if there was any intimidating figure in the world, it would have been King Artaxerxes at the time, the king of the known world at this time, the king of Persia. Of any people that he should be afraid of, it should be of him. It was Artaxerxes and his predecessors who had stopped the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And what he was about to ask was to begin rebuilding it again. But Nehemiah is going to seize this opportunity. Even in the midst of fear, verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Look in verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Not only should we seize God-given opportunities in the face of fear, but we should seize God-given opportunities prayerfully. Did you know you can talk to God throughout the day? Many of us have forgotten that discipline. You, you, we've forgotten that we can go to the Lord any time of the day, during any moment. Nehemiah is, is talking to the king. He's afraid, and the king asks him, what do you want? And immediately, Nehemiah's response is prayer. You'll see this all throughout the book of Nehemiah. He begins, he continues, he ends with prayer. Again, if you want an epic start, if you want God to do an epic work through you, you need to be people of prayer. God's house should be known as a house of prayer. God values prayer in our life. It's a means by which he communicates to us through his word and we commune with him. Prayer is indispensable to the life of a believer. It's what you are called to, believer. If you are not living your life in constant prayer, you need to repent and turn to him and ask God to help you to be in communion with him moment by moment through prayer. It doesn't mean that you stop. It doesn't mean that you bow your eyes. It means that even right now, as I'm preaching, I'm saying, God, please give me the words. Help me not to stutter through this. Help it to make sense. Let your Holy Spirit touch out on these people's hearts. 
I didn't have to stop. I didn't have to close my eyes. It's just seizing an opportunity prayerfully. And if you're going to seize God-given opportunities in your life, you not only need to do it through fear, but you need to do it prayerfully. In verse 5 and on, we learn that we should seize God-given opportunities with preparation. Yes, Nehemiah had been praying. Yes, Nehemiah had been fasting. He had been mourning. But he was also a man of preparation. And until God gave the go-ahead, he wasn't going to do anything, but he was going to prepare and go over uh, this in his mind. Verse 5, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. He knew the time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. You see, Nehemiah, we say, did he just sit back and pray? Well, first of all, there's nothing more than you can do than pray. But he was also a man of preparation of planning, of thinking, God, God, if this happens, how, how will I progress? God, what, what do you desire for Jerusalem? He was a man of prayer and of preparation. My favorite athlete uh, in the world so far has been Peyton Manning. I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Peyton Manning. I don't follow pro football. I really can't stand pro football. But when Peyton Manning was playing, I did my best to catch the games. Peyton Manning uh, in 1998 was the number one overall draft pick, two-time Super Bowl champ, and he is most known for his attention to detail in practice. He's obsessive and relentless in preparation. Bruce Arians, the, his position coach for the first three seasons that he was in the NFL, said this of him. He said of Peyton Manning, I call him the piranha. I could never get him enough information whether it was about the opponent or our game plan or anything else. We had him in for our pre-draft interview in 1998, and he had a notebook full of questions for us, including one about the Indiana tax code. I remember thinking, who interviewed who here? But that not only began his uh, early years of playing football, but in, in Denver, uh, when they went to go play the Ravens in 2012 before the divisional round playoff game, Peyton Manning held his hands in buckets of ice before he went outside to throw with his receivers. He wanted to replicate the cold weather he would face in the upcoming game. Peyton Manning was known for his attention to detail and preparation. And too often, we as God's people say, well, we're just going to be filled with the Spirit and there's going to be no preparation whatsoever. That's not pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God to wait on Him. But He's given us gifts. He's given us abilities. We ought to be people who are in our minds preparing for God to move. We say, we expect God to move here at First Baptist Church, West Memphis. Amen. We expect God to do great things here. And so we prepare and plan for those things so that when he says, yes, we are ready for him to do great things. And Nehemiah will do the same thing. He says, my goal is I want to rebuild the wall. It's going to take this much time. I've thought about it beforehand. 
I think we can do it in this amount of time. I'm going to need letters. I'm going to need letters so that I can get through safely from one province to the next. I'm going to need letters so that I can go collect wood for the, and lumber for the building of this wall. I'm going I'm to need some more letters, king, so that I can get stone for this wall. He was a man who prepared. He was a man who planned. You've heard that old saying, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. As God's people, we need to be people who plan. Wait on the Lord, yes. But when he gives us opportunities, seize them. Seize an opportunity this week when you have an argument with your spouse to take the higher road, to be loving and understanding and not to say words that you will regret. Take a higher road this week. Seize an opportunity to show your people that you work with, that you love Jesus by the language that you use, by the jokes that you laugh at. Seize an opportunity this week in traffic when you want to lose your patience. Seize an opportunity this week as you wait upon the Lord. Look for opportunities as you serve him. And Nehemiah knew this. But number three, Nehemiah knew, and I want you to know, the boldness of humility. Nehemiah is going to be so bold here. He's going to be so bold that he's going to be willing to wait on the Lord to move. He's going to be so bold that when he sees an opportunity, he's going to, he's going to jump on board. And then thirdly, he's going to be humble and be filled with humility. Look at the end of verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. You know, Nehemiah was essentially just named the governor of Jerusalem. If Josh Hall would have went in and convinced the king to be called the governor, you better believe there'd be some pride in the background. I remember one time in college uh, at Arkansas State University, I'd taken a, a semester test uh, for a history class, and they had several uh, essay questions. I was good at essay questions, but there were several other questions that I did not expect. And so uh, the professor said at the end of the semester test, after I've uh, graded them, he did them a few days before uh, the, the deadline, he says, I'm going to allow you to come in and talk to me, and we'll talk about your grade for the year. And so I went in, and I'd made a, a C on the test. I was really disappointed. I wanted to make an A. I felt like history was my subject, and I, he showed me the areas that I got wrong. And so I spent the next 20 minutes trying to convince him to give me an A. And he gave me an A. And when I walked out of that class, I was, I was something. And I was telling everybody, look at me, look at me, look at me. Well, I got a, I got a C in the class, okay? I thought, that I, I thought that I had it. I thought that I had it planned and prepared. And I thought I was really hot stuff because I had convinced the professor. But here, we're going to see that, that God does this great work through him, and yet Nehemiah will be completely humble. He says, the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. He knew that, that, that his plans will only work out if they were God's plans. By the way, can I tell you that? Whatever you're praying for, whatever you're planning for, whatever you're preparing for, it's only going to work out if it's God's plan. Don't you want God's plan to come to pass? Don't you know he knows what's better for you than you know what's good for you? Don't you know those things... Your plans will only go so far. Your plans will only work out if they are God's plans. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. 
Nehemiah understood that. This plan is only going to come to pass as God wants it to. And he also understood if an epic work will ever be done through you, God's going to have to get the glory. Now, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. But God, you get the glory. This all happened not because I was smooth, not because I had good favor with the king. Why? Because God's good hand was upon me. There's no room in church life and in following Jesus for divas, for people who are hungry for the spotlight. There's no room in that work. Why? Because Jesus desires to save you and to change you so that he would get the glory. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, our verse for this month, tells us at the very end of verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. His desire is for him to receive the glory. Our desire should be for him to receive the glory. So let me ask you a question again, church. Do you want God to do an epic work through you? Do you want an epic start, a restart? You've got to pray, and you've got to be bold. You know, I see this played out in the life of Jesus, waiting upon the Lord. It was at the exact right timing that God would send his son Jesus into the world. At the exact precise right timing, after centuries and centuries of God's people crying out at the precise right time, the time that God had allotted after, after years and years of waiting in human history, he sent his son Jesus to earth to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life. I see in Jesus him seizing the opportunity when the Father says, go, my plan for salvation for the world. Jesus went. He came here to earth. He lived that perfect life. And there in the garden, as he said, Lord, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. But if not, your will be done. He seized the opportunity, even if it meant a cross. Jesus went and died on the cross, and he took your shame and my shame and the penalty of my sin and your sin. And his desire was for the glory of the Father. He told his disciples, even before he went to the cross, my, my desire is that you glory in my Father, that you, have, that you have unity with him as I have with him from the foundation of the earth. So my question to you today is this. Do you want God to do an epic work through you? Do you want an epic start? Perhaps there is no actual epic restart in this life if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today, and you've never repented of your sins and confessed Jesus as Lord, I want to invite you to the best and most epic restart that you could ever experience. New life in Jesus. If you will repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord, you can have new life. But perhaps you're here today, many of my brothers and sisters who have known Jesus for many years, and you desire an epic restart, but you have not been bold. You've not been waiting on the Lord. You've not been seizing God-given opportunities in your life. You've not been very careful to give him all the praise, honor, and glory. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel, and if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.